0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church sermon podcast. This episode is from our Guiding Truth series, which is based out of 1st Timothy. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God impacted you through these messages. Him. Well, this morning, we are going to be in First Timothy chapter 1, and we're starting a brand new series uh, called Guiding Truths, and I'm looking forward to this series, studying out the book of First Timothy. We'll be starting a new series in our evening services as well tonight. We'll be starting in the book of Hosea, and uh, going through and studying out the book of Hosea. And how many of you, you, you know you've read the book of Hosea before? All right. Man, what a great book Hosea is, and uh, an awesome, awesome picture of the love that the Lord has for us and the patience that he has for his people. And so we're going to be in that book tonight. But this morning, looking at 1 Timothy, and uh, as we get to 1 Timothy, before we stand and read our passage, just kind of give us a little bit of background so we can know about the book of 1 Timothy. I believe that the book of 1 Timothy probably was written in about 64 or 65 AD. This would be about 30 years after Jesus was crucified, 30 to 32 years after the Lord was crucified, this book was written. It was written, of course, by a man by the name of Paul. You'll recall that Paul, and I don't need to recount all of his life to you, but Paul, he started out as Saul of Tarsus, one of the leading uh, persecutors of the church. And he was one that he, uh, of course, Acts chapter 8 recounts for us that uh, he threw out threatenings towards the church and was very uh, um, boisterous against anything that had to do with Jesus. And of course, Saul of Tarsus was a leading Pharisee. He was one that was raised up in their best schools, and he was uh, kind of, uh, quote unquote, the religious elite, if you will. And so he was one that he was just against everything that had to do with Jesus and with Christianity. Well, Acts 9 records for us that he himself came to know the Lord as his Savior. And uh, through the course of a number of years, Paul was discipled. He was trained by Barnabas and many others that invested into his life. And after about four years, Paul... After uh, after having received the Lord, four years later, Paul then went out Acts thirteen and he started and helped begin start church, starting churches and went on three missionary journeys or three preaching trips where he would start a number of churches, lead thousands of people to the Lord, and be used to write thirteen or fourteen of our New Testament books. Well, as you come to the book of First Timothy, Paul is the author. He's one that is writing to a young preacher boy. Timothy would be a young man that Paul probably met, and uh, if you were here in our intentional living series, our message intentionally continue that we were at three weeks ago. We learned a little bit about Timothy, but Timothy was one that Paul would have met during his travels. Many believe that Paul led Timothy to the Lord, though he was raised knowing the word of God and knowing scripture, knowing the Old Testament, he didn't know about Jesus. And Paul came on the scene and told Timothy about Jesus Christ, and of course, Timothy received the Lord, and his mother and grandmother received the Lord. And God began to uh, put in this young man's heart the, the call, the desire to be like Paul, the desire to go into ministry like Paul. And so Paul, seeing that, took Timothy under his wing. Timothy began to travel with Paul. Timothy was one that would have been with Paul as he was starting churches and leading people to the Lord and uh, very active with Paul as Paul traveled. Well, the Bible records for us that that relationship became almost like a father and son relationship. Paul and Timothy grew very close. Paul would, we, we're record, uh, Paul's life and travels are recorded for us in the book of Acts, and we can see where he goes into jail. And I believe that after Acts 28, Paul gets out of jail And that's when Paul would write this letter of 1 Timothy to Timothy. He writes it back to this young preacher boy and the whole premise of this letter is actually 1 Timothy chapter three in verse 15. Paul says, I'm writing this to you so that you would know how to behave in the house of God. I'm writing to you, Timothy, so that you can know how to lead God's people and so that you can know how to lead your own Christian life. And so Paul writes to him this letter, what, what I've titled, Guiding Truths. Paul just writing to Timothy saying, hey, I want to help you in your walk with the Lord. I want to guide you as a Christian and guide you as a church. And so this morning, we're going to come into 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's stand together as we begin reading here our first guiding truth that I believe Paul gives to Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 1, and beginning in verse number 1, the Word of God says this: Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, we got some. One second. Try to get the all right. Hey Rob. I got it, I think. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Paul writes to Timothy, and <clears throat> the very first lesson or guiding truth that I believe we're going to see this morning is something along the lines of, Timothy, I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage you to encourage others. Stay focused. Timothy, stay focused. Remember the end of the commandment. Remember what the end goal of all of this is. Timothy, you've gotta stay focused. And so this morning, as we come to this message, Guiding Truths, today's uh, title is this, The Proper Alignment. Because if you and I are going to stay focused, we've gotta have the proper alignment. Let's pray, and then let's see what we mean and what God has for us this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wanna encourage you just to commit the next few moments to the Lord today, asking God to speak to you, committing the time to the Lord and really committing yourself to the Lord. God, speak to me today. And then would you make a commitment that as God speaks to you, that you're listening to him and you're willing to respond to him. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and thank you, Father, for the freedom we have to worship and, Lord, the opportunity to come before you. Lord, we commit this time to you and, uh, Father, we surrender ourselves and I surrender my mind and my word and actions, uh, Lord, that it would be completely filled with you and your spirit. Lord, that as we go through the passage today, that you would challenge us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us and that you would encourage us. And Father, I pray that as we leave here, that we would know that we've heard from you and met with you. And Father, again, we just pray that in this time that you'd be glorified. I ask you that if there's someone here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they come to know you as their personal savior. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. If you have your license or if you've been driving long, then you know the frustration of driving a car with bad alignment. Um, I've driven cars and even some church vans when I was on staff that uh, just had uh, horrible alignment, but probably um, one of the vehicles that I remember driving that had from what I can recall, probably the worst alignment was the old van that we used to have, that old Nissan Quest. There was a time, the reason the alignment got so bad is we were traveling, raising money for uh, the church plant, Moses Lake Baptist. And so we were traveling, raising the money for it. And we were up in Republic near Hannah's folks. And uh, it was right in the month of January that we were up there. And uh, the roads were already a little slick. But uh, on this particular day, the roads were dry, but the deer didn't know that. And so as we were driving away from uh, her folks and we were heading back down here to Moses Lake, uh, as we were driving down the road, I saw out of the corner of my eye a deer start running towards us. And I thought, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow down. Just let, I'll even stop and just let him cross, just a little old highway, let him cross. And so I, I started slowing down and that deer ran right next to our car, right next to the van. And he didn't run in front of us, he started running beside us. I was going about 50 miles an hour, and I slowed down to 40, and that deer slowed down. And I was going, in, in the end of this, I was going about 15 or 20 miles an hour on this highway, and that deer was just kind of trotting along beside us. I was like, would you pass already? So I sped up, that deer started going faster. <laughs> I was like, man, this, he, he, he wants me to just hit him. And so as we're driving along, he decided he didn't want me to hit him. He decided he wanted to hit us. And so as we're driving along and that deer's just running alongside us all of a sudden he just turn I mean he just jolts left and just runs right into our passenger front tire. I mean he just hammers it. And we of course go through him. And I run over like his head and his legs and I feel bad. I'm like, well, you're the dumb thing that was running alongside. Of- I gave you opportunities, buddy, you know, and I'm driving down and he just hits that tire. And as soon as he hits that tire we, and we run over him, I pulled over and I, man, I checked, is he stuck? You know, I didn't see him come out. Where is this deer at? And we checked all the front and had a, just a little itty bitty dent. And I thought, all right, good. Thank you, Lord, it wasn't worse than that. We got back in the car and started going, and my car started going, just started turning. I remember that whole trip home, I had to crank that, crank that steering wheel, if I recall correctly, crank that steering wheel to the left, and that entire time is just that pull, that bad alignment. How many of you have driven a car with bad alignment before? Man, it is one of the most annoying things, isn't it? You know, you think about driving a car with a bad alignment, uh, it doesn't just affect you as you're driving, but that bad alignment affects everybody. Man, that bad alignment causes the car to swerve. It affects everybody that's in the car. And if that car continues to do that, man, it could could cause a wreck. It could hurt somebody. And the truth is this morning that every now and then, our car, vehicle, it needs a, a realignment. And spiritually speaking, sometimes we need to be realigned. Sometimes our life gets out of alignment. Sometimes we have some things that come along that cause the direction that we're going to be altered. It might be something that kind of hits us off course. It might be a tragedy. It could be a sickness in the family. It could be a good thing sometimes that causes us to get out of line. This morning as we're coming to 1 Timothy chapter 1, I find us coming in on a letter that, as Paul writes to Timothy, he's letting Timothy know, hey, listen, Timothy, some things are gonna come along the way. And Timothy, you've gotta stay focused. You've gotta keep the right direction. Timothy, you've gotta stay in line. You've gotta stay aligned. As you and I look at this passage, we need to know that Timothy at this time, he would be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus, Acts chapter number 19, is where Paul uh, was instrumental in this church beginning. But the church at Ephesus and the town of Ephesus that Paul would be, or that Timothy would be pastoring in, uh, this was a, definitely a, a very affluent area, if you will, one that was well-known. It was well-traveled. People appreciated Ephesus. It was kind of one of those uh, epicenters that, that people would want to go to and spend time in. Because of that, this center was, uh, this uh, area of Ephesus was just plagued with sin and And plagued with idol worship. And it was known for the worship of the goddess Diana. Uh, You can go to the silversmiths in Acts chapter 19, building the shrines to Diana and and the different uh, uh, false worship that was taking place there. This is the area that Timothy was ministering in. And as Paul writes back, he writes back, of course, as the church planter, the one who started the church, the the pastor, writing back to Timothy saying, hey, Timothy, I want to write and I want to give you some things. As you begin the letter, verse one is very uh, important. It's us knowing that Paul writes the letter. Hey, Timothy, this is Paul. I'm writing to you with grace and mercy of the Lord. Verse one and two. I just wanna let you know some things. Just wanna let you know what's going on. But as you get into verse number three, Paul begins to to give Timothy some, some wisdom or some guiding truths to help him stay going as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so I want you to notice with me this morning that if a Christian or a church is going to continue in the right direction. We've gotta receive some of these instructions from Paul. And the very first one is this, that if you're going to continue in the right direction, Timothy, church at Ephesus, you need to avoid false doctrine. You've gotta avoid false doctrine. Look at verse number three, if you will. Paul said this, "'As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, "'when I went into Macedonia, "'that thou mightest charge some that they teach.'" no other doctrine. Verse one and two, again, just the introduction. But then verse three, Paul says, hey, I wanna remind you of something, Timothy. When I left you there, when I left you there in Ephesus, I gave you the challenge of Timothy, stick to the right doctrine. Timothy, stick to truth. I challenged you to charge other believers that they not teach or believe any other doctrine. When you go to towns like uh, Ephesus or Corinth or Athens at this time, they were known as studious towns. They were known as uh, um, places of learning. Ephesus would be known actually for one of their libraries. This was the entrance to one of their libraries at the time. And just something that they uh, valued was, was the, uh, the knowledge and gaining wisdom. Well, one of those things that would come along with gaining wisdom is that they begin to want uh, to be enlightened by anybody else's teaching. And so in areas like this area in the front of the library, it would be known to us kind of as a commons area. And we've seen this with Jesus even in in Jerusalem that any time somebody who claimed to be a teacher could get up and teach something. And they would do that in the commons area. Well, because of that thinking, because people being able just to get up and teach, it led to a lot of false doctrine. It led to a lot of false beliefs. Uh, The Bible actually tells us, and Luke writes it in Acts, it gives us insight in the type of learning and teaching and uh, the wisdom that they wanted. Acts 17, 21 uh, Luke wrote this about the Athenians, says, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So they were just enamored by new things, and this was kind of the culture at that time. And the sad thing is that many Christians were becoming enamored with new things as well, trying to find some new doctrine or some new thing to think about. That doctrine, the word doctrine, just means the core beliefs, and as you look, uh, Paul writes, he says, hey, I wanna encourage you to charge people that they teach no other doctrine. They don't teach it, they don't believe it, that they don't get into false doctrine. Some of the false doctrines at this time that would be on the rise would be that which would be, uh, um, go along with what we studied last year in the book of Colossians. Some of the false teaching would be that of Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism, this would be um, wisdom plus Christ, that if you, you can get closer to God if you learn more about God. They loved, those Greeks loved knowledge and the sophistication of their law and their culture, and because of this, they became very critical of Christianity, saying that Christianity was too simple. Well, many believers begin to be influenced by that and say, well, Christianity's too, you know, the, the basics of Christianity are too simple. And so we need more depth. We need more knowledge. And if we get more knowledge, then we'll be closer to God. And you can't be closer to God unless you have more knowledge, Gnosticism. There was the Judaizers. We're familiar with this. This would be a lot like the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament. Uh, These would be those that they combined the law and Christ. Uh, Many of them, of course, they did not want to admit that Jesus was the Messiah, but they would say maybe to you or to me, hey, it's okay for you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but you must also adhere to the law. You need to make sure that you're still keeping all the Old Testament commandments. You've gotta have that, and you can have Jesus on the side. So it was Gnosticism. There was Judaizers. There was the the word asceticism or the belief of asceticism. Asceticism was you could have Jesus, but you also have to make sacrifices to be closer to Jesus or closer to God. So it was the more sacrifices you make, the closer you can become to God. You had Gnosticism, Judaizers, asceticism, but then also you had just continued idolatry Boy, just the idolatry of the day was a big influence. And uh, there in Athens, we spoke about it it in our our Life Stage Adult Fellowship this morning. Um, They they were so superstitious in Athens that they had basically an idol to any, any God. And they had one idol just written on the inscription of it was just to the unknown God. You say, well, how does the spirit of Athens help us know about Ephesus? Because that was the culture at this time. That was kind of the idea this time. And so that idolatry, that um, idolatrous worship, just worshiping anything and everything, these were some false doctrines that were influencing believers. You see, because here's what's happening. Here's what was happening. The believers, they knew what they were supposed to believe, that the Bible tells us that it's only through Jesus that you have salvation. It's only through him. Well, Gnostics came and said, well, it's through Jesus, but also through knowledge. Judaizers came and said, well, it's through Jesus, but also it's through the law. Uh, those, Those who believed in the asceticism, they came and said, well, it's through Jesus, but it's also through sacrifice. Continued idolatry, it's through Jesus, but just add him to your idols. Just add him to the false gods. Well, Paul, knowing that, he writes to Timothy. Timothy, I wanna challenge you with something. You gotta keep going straight on this. Timothy, you've got to avoid false doctrine. You've got to avoid things that are attacking what you know to be true. When you think about this, Paul, uh, he uses a word in the passage that helps us understand that Paul was very, probably writing, very intense, he was writing this and helping, helping Timothy understand the importance of it. And he says in verse number three, he says that thou mightest charge some. That word charge uh, there, it's the idea of um, a, uh, a high-ranking officer giving a command. Hey, Timothy, I wanna charge you, Timothy. I, this is a command from God himself that Timothy makes sure to teach no other doctrine. It's like he's saying, Timothy, you're a Christian soldier under orders from the king. Now pass these orders along to the other soldiers in your church. Don't believe any other doctrine. Now, we have to understand something, that doctrine is is important because the teaching that you follow directs the destination of your life. What you believe affects where you end up. And a lot of times Christians, their walk gets out of line and they need to be realigned. And the reason is because what we're believing is affecting where we're going. You see, you can follow man's teaching or you can follow what you come up with or you can follow the word of God and what Christ has given us. And just as there were teachers of false doctrines in Paul's day, we need to know that there are teachers of false doctrine today. And it's gotta be taken seriously. You see, false teachers have no good news for lost sinners. Instead, false teachers, they seek to lead Christians astray because of the influence of Satan. And that not, might not be in a false teacher's mind. I just wanna lead Christians astray. But the devil's behind it. And the devil's goal is to get you and I away from the biblical truths that we know. Because if we, the devil knows that if we found ourselves or uh, line up ourselves upon the word of God, the devil knows the victory that we can see. He knows the effects that we could have. And so the devil will do anything and everything to try to get you and I away from the core of the word of God. Paul wrote it this way, and we covered it a couple weeks ago in 2 Timothy 3, 13 and 14. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Hey, Timothy, continue in the word of God. Timothy, you wanna avoid false doctrine? Stay in the word of God. We've heard this illustration before, but many years ago, when someone would be trained in banking or in the work of diamonds, uh, and as they would be trained, they would be trained with the real thing. They would never be trained with counterfeit. A uh, One who would be a banker who'd be working with money would never be trained with counterfeit money. They would always be trained with the real thing. And the reason was because if they were close and new and familiar with the real thing, they would recognize counterfeit when it came through. And the fact of the matter in your life and my life is this, that if you and I would uh, familiarize ourselves in the word of God and immerse ourselves in the word of God and get to know the word of God, then when counterfeit Christianity or counterfeit doctrine comes through, we're gonna recognize it. Why? Because it doesn't measure up with this book. It's not because uh, I researched everything else. It's because I know the word of God and I know that doesn't match with what he said right here. Now, does that mean we need to be ignorant towards what other people believe or say, well, that's your belief and I'm just never gonna learn it? No. No. Sometimes it's wise to know what you believe first and then be able to say, okay, now, now what, do you, what do you believe? And find out what another person believes because then you can compare it to the word of God, but it always starts with going back to the word of God. And that's what Paul is getting to Timothy saying, Hey, listen, just familiarize yourself with the word of God so that you can see when false doctrines are going to come up. Can I tell you today that there's some doctrines that you and I need to defend. There's some things that we need to stand for. Can I tell you about the doctrine of salvation? You know what? In your life and my life, and we're seeing this right now, that salvation is under attack, it's under attack, and you may, we may believe it or not believe it, but salvation through Jesus Christ alone is under attack. And here's what false doctrines are saying. False teachers are saying, hey, listen, you gotta have Jesus plus baptism. Well, that's just like the Gnostics and the Judaizers and the ascetics and, and those who would uh, bring in idolatry. It's Jesus plus something. Listen, it is not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus and him alone. When you have someone come to you and say, well, no, 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 now listen, Listen, it's Jesus and you've got to be a good person. And there's many Christians that have gotten away from the truth of the word of God because of the false doctrines of salvation. It is not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus alone. I think about the doctrine of salvation. You know, I think about the doctrine of baptism. I believe that baptism is a doctrine of the biblical church. And by baptism, I mean baptism by immersion. Being baptized, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of resurrection to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 4 and uh, Romans chapter 6. Man, it's all there. It's in the word of God. Jesus, he was baptized, showing us uh, that we need to follow in his steps. Well, you got to have Jesus, and then you have to get baptized to have your sins washed away. Listen, that's not true. That's false. That's false doctrine. Well, you could, can I give you a couple others? You can be baptized by someone just kind of sprinkling some water on your head. That is incorrect. The word baptize, baptizo, it means to plunge under. The very definition of the word shows that one to be incorrect. But pastor, I got baptized when I was a baby. Listen. I would not try to be disrespectful towards something that means something to you, towards a significant event in your life that means something to you. But this is not coming from Pastor Dennis this morning. This is the word of God, that that's not baptism. Baptism is when I've believed in Christ as my savior. That's the first step, salvation. And then baptism simply identifies me with him after salvation. I'm being baptized, I'm showing other people. It's an outward sign of an inward decision. You know what? Baptism is something that Christians need to stand for. And someone says, well, you can have it your way and I'll have it my way. Can I just tell you, we're not talking about your way versus my way. We're talking about what does God say? Christians need to stand for salvation, need to stand for baptism. Can I tell you something else we need to stand for? I believe is a doctrine, the church. I knew he would go here. <laughs> Leave it to those preachers always talking about being in church. Listen, the doctrine of the local church is a New Testament doctrine. It's a New Testament truth that Jesus Christ, he started the church. He started the church when he called out the disciples to follow him. He started the church. It's a called out assembly. And Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I should have thrown the picture up, but we were there and talked about this. We were there in Caesarea Philippi and we were there at the place where, gee, it gives me chills just thinking about it. Man, I can't wait to go back. 2020, we're going to Israel. If you wanna go, this is a plug. November 2020, we're going to Israel and we'll have more information about that. But we were there in Caesarea Philippi and man, I was standing right before, Mike and I were standing just right before all of the altar and, and all of the idols. And my wife and I were standing there looking at all of the little hollowed out areas where they put statues and where they put all these false things. And we're standing right next to a big uh, cavern right in the, in the, um, uh, the, the hillside there that, that they called the gates of hell. That's what they called that cavern right there. And here's, was, here was Jesus standing there with his disciples saying, hey, listen, I'm starting something and it's not gonna stop. Your worst fears, it, it's not even gonna, it's not even gonna come, come close to stopping what I'm about to do. You know what? That was Jesus establishing the doctrine of the church. Can I tell you that church is important? That's why Paul wrote, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. Man, being in church. Well, I can worship God anywhere I can. We've talked, we've talked through a lot of this before. But listen, the doctrine of the church is something that Christians need to stand for. Someone comes to you and says, well, the church really isn't that important. No, it is in the word of God. It is important that I be at church and it's important that I be a part of a church and it's important that I serve. It's important that I get plugged in. All of those things go under that idea of the local church. I think about the doctrine of salvation, baptism, the church. I think about the truth of the doctrine of the word of God. Standing upon the word of God. I think this is probably the most important thing that a believer needs to understand and stand for is I am always going to stand for the word of God. It is not the Bible and some other book, right? Because there's some false teachers out there. They say, oh, listen, you need to have, yes, you can have the Bible, but you need to make sure that you have this book as well. You can have the Bible, but you make sure that you have this man's teachings as well. Listen, The word of God is complete. And God himself said, don't add to it. Don't take away from it. My word stands on its own. Hey, Timothy. Timothy, you wanna keep going the right direction? Number one, Timothy, you've gotta avoid false doctrine. You've gotta avoid false doctrine. Timothy, number two, let me give you this. Timothy, you've gotta set aside foolish distractions. Timothy, avoid false doctrine, but set aside foolish distractions. Verse number four, notice this. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Hey, Timothy, not only do you need to avoid false doctrine, but you need to not give in to foolish distractions or things that just cause arguments. With no backing. Let me define some of these words here. The word fables, the word fables comes from the Greek word mythos. We get our English word myth, it's an inventive or creative story. Inventive or creative stories with really no substance. They may or may not be true. they're just made-up things. Endless genealogies. These would be records of uh, descent that just keep going and going and going and going. And here's what would happen is uh, the fables, people would, of course, uh, Greek mythology was much fables and many stories, and so people would just begin to make up these stories and these fables, and pretty soon someone's just enamored with a fable or a story, something that's made up. And and they're listening to that more than they are getting into the word of God or the endless genealogies. This would be people, especially the Jews, arguing their background. Well, I'm closer to God because I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. My grandfather was this and my great-grandfather was this and my great-great-grandfather was this and my great-great-great-grandfather. And they would just argue endless genealogies. They're just going on and on and on about how maybe their family line is better than somebody else's family line. And here's what Paul says hey, listen, Timothy, don't give heed to those things. Don't give heed. You don't need to pay attention to fables. You need to pay attention to endless genealogies. Let other people argue over that. Timothy, you don't need to get into that. There would be arguments that would, um, may or may not be true in these fables or these endless genealogies, but Timothy, these arguments, they don't accomplish anything, they don't prove anything, and they don't alter anything. In their day and age, people would get distracted by some new argument or new teaching that would be given out as truth. These were often things that would cause people to question what they believed. Can I just tell you this morning that fables and endless genealogies, all they do is raise questions, not answer them. And there's a lot of Christians that they get into fables and endless genealogies that simply raise questions about what they believe, but don't answer questions about what they believe. Well, did you hear about this or this or this or that? And try to come up with new ways of thinking rather than just getting into the word of God. Can I tell you one of the the, um, worst places and that this is tearing Christians down is the internet. Man, just spending hours and hours and hours watching some quote-unquote preacher that claims he has truth that just gives fables. Well, what about this? Endless genealogies. What about this? What about that? What about this? And all it does is provokes questions. It never provides answers. Go read the verse. Timothy said, hey, fables and endless genealogies, they are that which... Minister questions. All they do is bring about more questions. They never bring about answers. Man, can I tell you that your God and my God, your Savior and my Savior, He is very interested in answers. That's why He gave us the Word of God. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Well, but Pastor, haven't you heard about this or that? Different, uh, this theory or this. Uh, I forget what they're called, this, this thing that could be true. Let's get in the word of God. What's the Bible say about that? You know, sometimes Christians need to understand that God's plan is for us to be loud where he is loud and silent where he is silent. Can I tell you, there are some things that I don't know. You're like, well, duh, we knew that. <laughs> There's some things I don't know and there's some things I'll never know this side of heaven. I'm fine with that. Because that's where faith steps in. I don't know answers to every question, but I know a God that does. And I know that if something comes up that causes questions in me, I can go to the Word of God. I can take the Bible and I can research it. And if my research, only brings about more questions, I'm probably not strictly using the Bible because the word of God will bring about answers. It's his word. And Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, hey, listen, don't just be involved in things that raise questions. He wrote this to Titus, Paul did. He said, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and vain. This type of Christianity, uh, people that get into fables and these different things, instead of producing love and purity and a, a good conscience and sincere faith, these doctrines or these teachings, they just cause division and they cause hypocrisy and they cause just all sorts of problems. And so uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he writes to Titus, hey, take heed of these things, watch against them, or they're going to be ruining the truth. They're going to be causing questions and causing you to doubt rather than edifying. And we need to know this morning that this type of stuff, it still goes on today. And all too often, churches and Christians get caught up in foolish distractions. Often it's arguing just for the sake of arguing. I've been around some believers and all they want to do is just fight. They just want to argue with people. I had one friend that was at a, um, it's a family that sings that traveled and sang for a while. And they got called to go to a meeting in the Northeast. And they pulled up to this meeting and the banner in front of it the big banner on the front of the auditorium said the bad attitude Baptist preachers meeting. He was like, Dennis, what do I do? Like, I don't have a bad attitude, but those people apparently do because they want everybody to know about it. You know what? There's a lot of Christians out there that they're a bad attitude Christian and their, their idea of contending for the faith is to be contentious about the faith. That's not, that's not what the word contend, that's not what the phrase contend for the faith means. I need to keep going on this for a second. Here's what we do. We make mountains out of molehills. In Christianity, we, we make mountains out of molehills. But Mike, I cannot believe, I can't believe that you, that you sang and played with a guitar. Don't you know that them their guitars they were they were used in bars? And I'm again it. I'm going to stand against it. You can't use a guitar. This is God's house. Don't you know that that guitar was used for Satan's music? And You say pastor, really? Listen. There are people that argue over the silliest things that do not matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is the type of music you're listening to. That matters. What matters is how the instrument was used. I'm about to say something that's gonna get me in trouble. But I'm gonna say it. I can't believe... I can't believe that that church would let drums in the church. I can't believe it. Pastor Dennis, are we hiding a set of drums? No, the platform's too small. There's nowhere to hide them. But can I tell you something? It's not about the instrument, it's about how it's used. Go research, listen, go read the Bible. You know what you'll find in the Bible? Shh, you'll find drums. A lot of them. You'll find many instruments in the Bible, but you know what the purpose of the instrument was? To worship God. Can I tell you there's gonna be guitars in heaven? How do you know that? Eh, It's just a guess about music. I believe there's gonna be instruments in heaven that we don't even know. And what's the purpose of them? Just to worship and glorify God. Oh, but we can make arguments over it. You can argue over it. Pastor Dennis, I believe that when we print something, we ought to make sure that on everything we print, it says independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, devil-hating Baptist church. (laughs) Because if we don't identify ourselves, then somebody else will. Now, that's a far-fetched one, but I'm just leaning on this idea. People argue over the silliest things. Churches that have had, listen, churches that have had church splits over the color of the blinds or the color of the curtains. I don't even know what those things are called. I read a, I read a book uh, last year uh, called, called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And it goes through and identifies characteristics of churches that died. And it was a 10-year study that this pastor did to research why did churches die. You know what many of them were? Arguments over silly things. It's too hot in the church. It's too cold in the church. I'm not gonna wear that. I can't believe, I can't believe Brother Micah wore a black shirt. I can't believe that you're not wearing a tie. I can't believe that you are wearing a tie. I can't believe that you let Miss Hannah on the platform. I can't believe that she's not on the platform and there's just all the, fans aren't going, but I hate the fans when they do go. Turn the lights down, turn the lights up. Use this, do that. Ah! <laughs> it's just gonna arouse more questions. It's just gonna cause more arguing. No wonder Paul wrote, Hey, you don't have time for that. Go tell people about Jesus. Quit arguing and start telling people about Jesus. Quit fighting and start handing out gospel tracts. Man, quit bickering over the colors of, of the curtains and start filling up the seats. That's yeah, so what Paul's saying. Hey, you've got to avoid foolish distractions. Because let's all be honest, it's easy. It's easy to major on the things that we think we're better at. It's easy to major on something that in scriptures is minor. It's called doctrine versus preference. The color of the curtains in here, that's preference. I really don't care, Pastor. You should care. Why? Just as long as it's not like '80s or something like that, you know. Don't put up like neon blue in here, man. What do we want? We want it to be complimentary. We, want, you know, there's just so many things in the Word of God that help us understand that God is not for just all of these arguing over different things. And as a believer, we should be wanting unity, not discord. We should be wanting things that offer answers not things that offer questions. We should be wanting to build people up, not causing them to doubt. And uh, I would say, don't try to find things that are not clearly outlined in the word of God to argue over. Be loud where scripture is loud and silent where it's silent. I like how one man said, he said this, that which ministers questions is not for edifying and that which gives occasion for doubtful disputes pulls down the church rather than building it up. Hey, Timothy, don't get caught up in foolish questions and arguments. Solomon wrote it this way. He said, ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Hey, think about where your feet are going and don't go this way or that way. Man, just stay focused. How do I stay focused? Number one, you've got to avoid false doctrine. Number two, you've got to set aside foolish distractions. But notice lastly with me this morning, Timothy, if you're gonna continue in the right direction, you must have a focused desire. Timothy, you must have a focused desire. Notice verse number five in our passage, we read this. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some, having having, uh, swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Hey, Timothy, you need to focus on what the Lord desires and nothing else. And Timothy, his desire for you ought to be your desire for yourself. Paul writes to Timothy about the goal of the Christian life. The end of the commandment is this, charity out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and out of faith unfeigned. What is charity? Well, let's go back to our message from last week. Love. Hey, Timothy, I'm gonna remind you what Jesus said. The greatest commandment, is to love the Lord and love your neighbor. Can I just show you that this idea of being consumed, this idea of loving God and loving others, our theme for the year, it is all throughout the scripture. It is all in the word of God. Hey, Timothy, I wanna remind you of something. Focus on love. Timothy, focus on charity. Charity, love out of a good conscience. Charity, love out of faith unfeigned, out of a sincere faith. Because others, what have they done? They've swerved away. They've turned aside unto vain jangling. The phrase vain jangling just means empty talk. Well, why have they turned aside to empty talk? Because they desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. You see, the whole thing Paul is getting at, he's saying, hey, listen, Timothy, if you're gonna stay straight, you've gotta be in the word of God. Stay true to right doctrine. Don't follow distractions. And then, Timothy, make God's desire your desire. Love him out of a sincere heart with a right life and let God use you. Timothy, don't just desire to be a teacher. Don't just desire the office, Timothy. Don't just desire to be known because there are those that they've swerved aside into vain jangling, empty talk. It's just filled with fluff. There's no substance to it. There's no depth to it. Why? Because it's not in the word of God. There's no substance to it. Why? Because it's not here. There's no depth to it. Why? Because they're not digging into this. It's vain jangling. It's empty talk. Hey, Timothy, you wanna stay straight? And Timothy, you've got to set this desire of God's desire being yours. Timothy, get people to love God, live for God, and trust God. One man said it this way, the main scope and drift of the divine law are to engage us to the love of God and one another. And whatever tends to weaken either our love to God or love to the brethren tends to defeat the end of the commandment. Paul lets Timothy know, hey, there's been others that they've just turned aside to that vain jangling, but Timothy, if you're gonna stay focused, you gotta remember the end of the commandment is love. The end of this is love. Can I just tell you this is still true today. If you wanna keep the right direction in life and keep your life from getting out of line, if you wanna save yourself from having to realign your life often, you've gotta keep a focus upon love. It's said this way in Romans 13, verse eight through 10. Oh, no man, anything, but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And I won't preach the whole message that I preached last week, but all too often Christians become so interested in fables and doctrine, wrong, false doctrines and endless genealogies, simply because their heart has fallen out of love with the Lord. They get sidetracked and pretty soon their Christianity becomes more about following some sort of rules and regulations instead of following your friend and your savior. This is not new now. It happened in Paul's day. It happened in Timothy's day and it happens in modern day Christianity. And the reason is this, it's because the flesh loves religious legalism because rules and regulations enable a person, listen, rules and regulations enable a person to appear holy without really having a change, without really having to change his heart. You gotta understand that biblical Christianity is love, loving him, loving others, and faith, trusting him. It's about, and we say it often, it's about relationship. I love this quote because the flesh loves religious legalism. Do you wanna know why a lot of people are drawn to false uh, teachings, false doctrines? It's because many false doctrines just set out do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do this. Here's your line. If you keep this line, we will call you godly. But the false religion never addresses the heart. And here's what the Lord is saying. Timothy, I'm interested in the heart. Avoid false doctrines. Timothy, avoid those foolish distractions. Just don't go around that. But Timothy, you need to remember my desire is the heart. Can I tell you this morning, don't allow the devil... To tell you otherwise. Is it important that we outwardly reflect a relationship with God? Yes. It is important that we have correct that we have some standards and that we have some guidelines to live by? Yes. But those things are not the goal. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. The end of the goal is that your heart would be in love with Him. when you look at the passage and what Paul is writing to Timothy, he helps us understand that if when people swerve from the great law of charity, the end of the commandment, they will turn aside to vain jangling. When a man misses his end and scope, it is no wonder that every step he takes is out of the way. Man, if the end goal is wrong. It's no wonder that every step I take is, has the wrong alignment. When love is not the focus, everything gets out of focus. <clears throat> if you've driven that car that has bad alignment, then you know the frustration it can be. You know the strain it can take. Man, it, I, I driving those cars, sometimes it takes muscle to be able to just pull that steering wheel and just hold it in one place. Causes frustration, many cars with bad alignment. They've been the cause of wreck and injury and even death. But can I tell you that in the Christian life, when things get out of line, the results can be catastrophic. Your life being out of line not only affects you, it affects those that are in your vehicle. It affects those that are around you. And maybe this morning, you need to be realigned. So I wanna ask you this question. How is your alignment today? Man, how's your focus Are you focusing on the end goal of love? Are you focusing on the end goal of, Lord, I just wanna love you out of a pure heart? Or maybe today you've been getting off on some false doctrine, been following some foolish distractions. Maybe today you just come back and say, Lord, I need your help to be in love with you. God, I need your help. Because I I want to remember every single day that the end of this is that I would be closer to you. The end of this is that I would love you like I should. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. And As we come to a time of invitation where we're invited to respond to the Lord, I wanna encourage you to take time this morning and to respond to him. Take time this morning to commit to him. God, I've been getting distracted. God, I've been allowing you to, or excuse me, I've been allowing the devil to get my mind on questions, not answers. And God, it's because I've been getting away from you. I haven't been falling in love with you. Ask a couple questions then we'll have our time of invitation, but maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor Dennis, I know for certain I'm going to heaven. I've received Christ as my savior. Would you slip your hand right up, right back down? Pastor Dennis, I know that. Just right up and right back down. If that's you this morning, you know Christ is your Savior. This, today, would you respond to the Lord and ask Him, God, help me? Help me to keep that right direction. Help me to stay in the Word of God so I can know what I believe. And God, help me to avoid those distractions. And God, help me to remember to be in love with you every day this week. Now, maybe you're here and you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor Dennis. I couldn't raise my hand that I know the Lord. Would you pray for me? Because I don't know for certain if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. If that's you today, I wanna pray for you. I wanna encourage you to come. We'll take a Bible and show you how you can know you're going to heaven. Dear Father, I pray today that you would help us as we respond to your spirit, that we would just once again make this commitment for this new week, God, that we remember that the end of this, The the goal of this is that I would love you. And Father, I pray that you'd help us not to get off on false doctrine or foolish distractions, Lord, these things that just bring about questions, but Lord, that we would be captured by your word and have our mind focused upon you. Help us to respond to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.